You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. Happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Training camps around the league are supposed to start in less than three weeks. Rookies were supposed to report even earlier than July 28th, but talks between the NFL and the Players Union aren't really going anywhere right now, Rob. Way more questions than answers. Yeah, that's the thing, is that, of course, the NFL and the NFLPA are, are discussing essentially what the, how they're going to, to wrap their arms around the COVID-19 pandemic and how they're going to be able to get football, uh, you know, progressing as we've always seen it. And, and that's the issue, is that, the, of course, you can't. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing some players, Donovan Smith, the left tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who of course is going to be, is, is being asked to, to protect the, the blind side of Tom Brady. Uh, you know, he was one of those people, one of the players who was, has been, uh, you know, basically saying his opinions on social media and saying that he just cannot justify playing uh, and then trying to return home to his family. And I think that, that we're going to see a number of players who are, are going to be making that, that, that very, uh, very important point uh, in every avenue that they possibly can. Yeah, and there's been some Seahawks that have made some statements on social media as well. Bruce Irvin a few days ago was saying, you know, are players going to be given the chance to opt out? And of course, that led to plenty of speculation. Is he going to be one of them that considers doing that? And I'm sure there are several other Seahawks that are considering this as well. And the problem, as I said, there's just so many more questions than answers. These two sides have been having calls pretty much daily and it doesn't seem like they're getting anywhere. And I find it, you know, it shouldn't be considered humorous, but it kind of was humorous today seeing what Quandre Diggs did with Ian Rappaport because Ian Rappaport tweeted out that most things have been agreed to, and then immediately Quandre Diggs called him out for it on Twitter saying, we don't even know when the report date is going to be. How can you say that we have got most stuff agreed to? And then Richard Sherman, former Seahawks corner, also was saying that that was news to him because they haven't really been able to figure anything out. And you just look at the preseason games, for example. Last week, there were reports out there they were going to cut the preseason to two, but the NFL has not even come out with an official announcement on that. And then you've got the players on the other side of the equation saying, we don't want any preseason games this year under these circumstances. They want a long, drawn-out six-week training camp to really get players acclimated back to football and then just go right into the regular season. And honestly, Rob, for the Seahawks and all 31 teams – I know this stinks for the undrafted rookies. It stinks for the fringe veterans that are trying to make this football team. But to me, the only way that this is going to work is if they scrap the preseason and they allow these players to have that longer window to get back into football shape. I, I don't know that I agree that it's the only way it works, but it certainly seems to be the most logical way, Corbin. I would agree with that. I think that if you're limiting travel, then that obviously eliminates a lot of the risk right there. Um, I, I think that uh, just – just from a football perspective, you need to get these players in shape. And so, you know, and not that I expect that you're going to see a lot of players who got grossly out of shape, but you know, we've all heard so much the idea that just because you're in good shape doesn't mean you're in football shape and all of those things. I think you made the, the point on social media, you know, that, that I, the one that I agree with that uh, so much of the evaluation that the, the, the scouts for are doing for each of these 32 teams is basically done in house 
course in practice sessions as well and in the team meetings that the players who are, are grasping the information, obviously a big part of it is in the games itself. But uh, at, at the same time, I think that this, that would be the lesser of two evils to eliminate a couple of the preseason games um, and, and basically do it, as you mentioned, the players union, uh, the player association, or certainly at least a lot of their players are asking the, the league to do. And I think this is, you know, normally I would say just reach a compromise and do the two preseason games. But I don't know that when you're talking about a pandemic that having a compromise is necessarily the best solution. I just think the travel is the big thing for me. If it's games that aren't going to count in the standings, yes, they're important for these players. But I would eliminate anything that isn't necessary this year. Get the guys in the practice field. If that means a lot of group sessions and not a lot of scrimmaging, then so be it. That's what you're going to have to do this year. And if that means getting rid of all the preseason games, that's what you're going to have to do this year. They've got to make the adjustments that are necessary. And that's really where the problem is here, is that you have two sides that are you know, embroiled right now in quite a battle with major differences, and they can't agree on any of this stuff. And, and the league has been uh, – they've been pretty forthcoming that we're still working on the testing stuff, and that's really worrisome when you're supposed to have guys reporting in less than three weeks that you're still trying to figure out how that's going to work. So again, when you give a six week window, you don't have to worry about game day protocols a week and a half in by having a preseason game that gives you the chance to be able to fine tune that stuff. But I did find it interesting what Pete Carroll said today on ESPN 710 talking to John Clayton. And he made it very clear that he is in favor of delaying the start of training camp a little bit. If that's what it takes to ensure that protocols are right. He said, whatever we need to do to do this right is what I hope we do. If we've got to slow it down a little bit to get started, that would be okay. There are a lot of unsettled issues right now between the league and the players. So obviously a lot of other coaches are going to agree with that too. They would rather get started a couple weeks later than scheduled. If everything is set up procedurally and protocol wise to make this the best situation possible amid uncertain times. But again, time is not on the league side. You can only delay this so long. And then you start to run into issues with trying to get the regular season started on time, making sure these guys are able to get into shape. And if they're not able to agree on some things the next week or two, these are a crucial couple weeks for the NFL. This could end up getting pretty ugly. And I understand why it's complicated. We've never experienced anything like this before. But again, it, it could get pretty ugly here if we don't start to have some clarity on some of these things here in the next week or two. Yeah, well, I think it's going to potentially get very ugly, uh, you know, obviously much more outside of the, the sports realm, you know, and, and that's what we're all basically seeing here watching and, and kind of waiting to, to see what's going to happen. Um, and I, I think that, that, you know, listening or what, what, what Carol said um, in that, that pushing the season back that he'd be okay with that. I think that that basically echoes what a, what a lot of the scientists uh, who we should be listening to right now, you know, of course, in these kind of things, um, you know, what they've been saying, I mean, Dr. Anthony Fauci has been saying basically from the get go that, 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 that sports would return when, when COVID allowed it to do so. And, and I think that it, it is important to, to, to allow some grace, uh, you know, kind of similar to what the NFL did with the, with its draft. Um, you know, they, they, expected some, some issues and we, I think that we all expect there's going to be some, some players who get sick throughout this process but I, I think that it would be a mistake by the league to basically say this is our drop dead date that we have to do it by this time 
I think you can kind of continue to push things back and hopefully be able to wrap your arms around this a little bit better. That way you have a little bit more trust on this on the part of the players. And then you also are going to be able to get a, a quality product on the field because obviously everybody recognizes that the sports are important, but the human lives are more important. Yeah, right now, sports are not the top priority. We all want football to come back. Absolutely. We want college football. We want NFL. But it's got to be the right time, and you've got to have the right system in place. And I don't know that the NFL can say that they've got either one of those bases covered right now. But there are some encouraging things going on. It gets very early when you look at Major League Baseball and the NBA and stuff. There are some encouraging developments out there. Are they going to be able to finish whatever they start? We don't know. But the NFL can at least be following what's going on in some of these other sports leagues. The big issue right now is just the spike in COVID cases in a number of states. And Texas, Florida, Arizona, got a bunch of NFL teams in those three states. And so that's going to make it really a slippery slope trying to conduct things. And and every state's going to have their own issues they have to deal with. It's just like, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so we'll have to wait and see. The NFL did set up the schedule so they could move a game or two back to the end of the schedule if need be and still have the Super Bowl in February. They have a couple-week window to move it back to the end of February. So there are some built-in things they can do if they have to wait a little while to get things started. But it eventually is going to reach a point where you're either going to be able to give it a try or it's just not going to work either. So the NFL has got to be flexible at the same time. Uh, They're also not going to wait until March to start a season. And so uh, there's definitely a clock ticking right now to get this to work. And, And both sides have a lot of work in front of them over the next week or two to try to hash out some of these differences. When we come back in the second quarter, we're going to continue previewing training camp We're expecting it to start on the 28th as of right now. We're going to look at the defensive tackle position in the second quarter. Puna Ford, Jaron Reed, and company. We'll be right back. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Later in the third quarter, we're going to flip back to offense. We're going to talk some receivers, a pretty loaded group, a lot of newcomers that have been brought in through free agency and the draft, plus some familiar faces that are looking for another big season in 2020. But first, Rob, let's talk defensive tackles. And we actually looked at this position group a couple times earlier this week from individual standpoints. We talked about Puna Ford potentially being a breakout player for the Seahawks going into 2020. And I think they absolutely need him to take a big leap forward. When you consider that they lost one of their best defensive tackles in Al Woods during free agency, the versatile Quentin Jefferson that can play inside and out, he is now in Buffalo as well. And they didn't add anybody in the draft or in free agency to bolster this depth chart. 
Yeah, exactly. And so that clearly the, the Seahawks are expecting a, a big jump from Puna Ford as well as a, as a return to form from Jaron Reed. And, and so uh, I think that that is one of the, uh, the one of the position groups that we like we talked about the cornerback position yesterday. Um, the def- interior defensive line is, I think, very much a, a, a position of concern for the Seahawks. Um, but Puna Ford and Jaron Reed, I think that you have two very talented young defensive tackles that that you still can build around. So I, I think that this, again, is a position of concern for the Seahawks. But if the, I think their frontline talent is good enough for this team to take a significant step forward at this position. And I think the starting lineup is as good as you're going to find in the NFC West if Puna Ford can make the leap forward that I think he's capable of. Because Jaron Reed last year just set himself back with that suspension, and he was not the same player when he came back. But if he's going to be available the entire season, he just got paid. I think he's going to reward the Seahawks. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go out and replicate that 2018 season where he had 10 and a half sacks, but I think you could see Reed go out and get five or six sacks this year and put consistent pressure on quarterbacks, and that would be a big boost for this defense. We talked the other day, I think Puna Ford still has a pass rusher in him that we have not seen the first two seasons he's been in the league. He's got the athleticism, improving counter moves. We might see him get a handful of sacks, which again would be big for this defense. And both these guys are capable run defenders. I thought Jaron Reed took a big step back there last year, but we know what he can do. First three years of the league was a very sound run defender. That's what he was known for at Alabama. And of course, Puna Ford, with the maximum effort that he gives you every snap, the lateral quickness for his size has been a very capable run defender his two seasons in the NFL. I think the biggest question mark here is what happens behind those two? You like the starters that you've got, but then you have four combined games of NFL regular season experience on the rest of the roster at the defensive tackle position, and that's Brian Monet. He played in four games as an undrafted rookie last year, played in two playoff games as well, but that guy is your third most experienced player at the position. <laughs> yeah, and that obviously is concerning. Uh, you know, at, at the same time, Brian Monet is a big boy. Uh, 6'3", 366 pounds is what the Seahawks officially list him as. And as we just talked about with the the players that can get themselves out of shape, I mean, I think that Monet is going to be one of the players the Seahawks are very much going to have to keep tabs on. I'm very curious to see what he does show up as uh, when, when the Seahawks do start training camp. But, you know, I will say this. I mean, while DeMarcus Christmas, obviously Seattle's rookie last year, didn't play due to the injury all season long, but one of the reasons that the teams were interested in Christmas is because he was so durable, so consistent at Florida State. He was a 52-game player there. Um, and so while Seattle doesn't have <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of experience in terms of NFL, they have some guys who know how to play. Um, again, as we talked about, we do expect the, the, the jump up from, from Puna Ford and Jeremy, both two players who, who who have shown durability throughout their careers. Um, And and so I I do feel that there is reason for cautious optimism with this group, despite their their lack of experience, as you you mentioned. I think Monet is a guy to really look at as a potential second-year leap candidate, just because you mentioned the size. And I've watched a lot of the tape from the snaps that he had last year, and he had his struggles with gap integrity in the regular season. That was a problem playing against NFL competition, but he looked really good in the preseason. That's why he made this roster, and he has the size that you can't teach, the strength you cannot teach. And, and I thought at the college level that he was very sound as a gap defender. And so maybe it was just you know that huge step up going to the NFL 
that ended up being a problem for him last year. And he didn't get enough reps to really develop last season either. But if you're able to get him out there in training camp and he's getting regular reps as a nose tackle in the Al Woods role that we saw last year and they don't add another veteran to the mix, then he's going to have a great opportunity to be a regular contributor as well as DeMarcus Christmas, who even though he's barely over 300 pounds, I think Christmas is better suited to be a nose tackle than a three tech in the NFL. Like you and I've talked about before, he was not known for his pass rushing at Florida state, but he is a very good run defender who has the ability to split gaps when he wants to. That was the thing was he was not consistent enough doing that for the Seminoles, but you would see flashes where that step would come out and he would just get in the backfield and blow runs up. If he can find a way to consistently get that out of him, then he's a guy that can give you some really good snaps in his redshirt rookie season. Yeah, exactly. He's a squatty, powerful guy. I mean, he's a guy that, uh, you know, you'd, you'd like to see him get bigger and stronger. But as I mentioned, you know, playing a lot of, of good quality football against quality competition uh, in the ACC there. And at, at times kind of remind you of former Seahawk Brandon Mebane, who, of course, is one of the, the, the great, uh, you know, run stuffers that the Seattle's ever had in the middle. Um, and and that's, that's lofty praise. But that's the type of player that I think that you're looking at with Christmas and more of a, of a run stuffer rather than being that interior pass rush guy. So to me, that's, that's really one of the questions is that the Seahawks have been, have been blessed by having some interior pass rushers in the past, whether it be Reed, as you mentioned, those 10 and a half sacks a couple of years ago, or, or of course, some guys like, like Michael Ben and things like that. Jordan Hill Jefferson. before he had his injuries. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so that's to me is, is where you are. It's, it's almost incumbent on Puna Ford to make that next step because otherwise I think that you're going to see the Seahawks basically being forced to rely on those young edge rushers as well as some veterans, of course, uh, or a lot of blitzes by linebackers. And so it's, you know, this is a position that Seattle, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do at defensive tackle. Let's talk wild cards here, and this one is wide open because we know Seattle likes to rotate defensive ends in to defensive tackle, reduce them inside in passing situations. So, of course, I'm going to throw LJ Collier's name out, maybe Rasheem Green as well, that those two guys maybe on passing downs could reduce inside some. But if we're just talking pure defensive tackles here, this is my wild card. I've watched enough film on this guy I'm a big fan of Iowa's football program. They've obviously been in the news for the wrong reasons in recent months, but they kick out a lot of really good pro-ready players. And even though he was an undrafted signee, didn't play a lot of snaps the first three years with the Hawkeyes, Cedric Lattimore is the one undrafted free agent on defense right now. If we're talking – Chris Miller at safety as well. Those two guys are players I'm watching closely. The reason that Lattimore has come on my radar – I was watching the Iowa Hawkeyes against Penn State last year, and this kid had seven tackles in that game. And you could see the quickness that he brings to the table, and he's that perfect size. Seattle likes their defensive tackles in like that 295 to 305 range. He weighs 303. He's got the body type they like. He's got enough athleticism, and he seems like a player that was kind of a late bloomer at Iowa. But again, program kicks out quality pro-ready players year after year after year. And I think working with Clint Hurt, that he is a player to keep a very close eye on that might be able to find a way into the rotation right away as an undrafted rookie, even without preseason games and OTAs. 
Yeah, that's the thing is that Iowa, as you mentioned, under Kirk Ferentz, the, the head coach there, I mean, they are just an essentially like a, like a 33rd NFL program. I mean, just at least in terms of the, the caliber of coaching, uh, the way that they're able to churn out players at every single position, uh, you know, they are one of the great the greats in that regard. I mean, right up there with the, the, you know, the, the powerhouse programs, the, the LSU's, the Alabama's, the Ohio States, uh, you know, Iowa has that. And so I, I'm certainly intrigued by Lattimore because among the, the most impressive things that the Iowa Hawkeyes have is the defensive line talent. I mean, basically if you start for Iowa, you wind up getting yourself into a team. So uh, into an NFL team. So the fact that, that Lattimore was not that productive, his first three seasons there is not nearly as a alarming what is intriguing is the fact that he made the jump between his junior season 21 tackles only had a single sack to his senior year 44 tackles so more than doubled that three and a half tackles for loss two and a half sacks so you you mentioned the fact that Clint Hurt and and he is the Seahawks believe that he is one of the best young coaches in the league and and so this is exactly the type of player Lattimore as well as Josh Avery um, from Southeast Missouri another undrafted free agent who has some intriguing traits uh, that hopefully Hurt can can unlock I'm glad that you mentioned Avery because the thing about him he's got to make a bigger leap coming from an FCS program and he only really played one full season as a starter in that FCS program so he is still very raw but I believe he had a 34 inch vertical it was something before a half yeah, he, he is a very athletic guy for the defensive tackle position. So if you get him coached up technically and he's able to handle making this jump to the NFL, I think he's a guy that's probably a practice squad player because he's not near as polished. But there could be potential for him to be a guy that can play on Sundays for you eventually. I would think Lattimore of those two is going to be much more ready to handle a training camp with the Seahawks just because he's coming from Iowa's program. And again, I was really impressed with the couple full games that I watched all 22 film. He jumped off the film to me last year and he's playing for a program, like you said, that churns out a lot of good defensive tackles. So those are guys to keep an eye on and really the biggest wild card through all of this. We don't know who it's going to be, but I would, again, I've said this time and time again, I would be stunned if there's not another veteran that is in this position group when they start training camp. I think somebody like a Damon Harrison or a Mike Daniels, maybe uh, Timmy Jernigan, former Eagle. There's several quality veteran defensive tackles out there. I'll be stunned if they don't have another one on this roster. So that's really the major wild card. Who else ends up joining this position group? Because I think you need one more player with some experience here with that huge drop-off in games played from Puna Ford and Jaron Reed to everybody else on the depth chart. When we come back for the third quarter, we're going to shift to the offensive side of the football and talk wide receivers. Who's going to emerge behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for Russell Wilson to throw the football to in 2020? We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. We just broke down defensive tackles. Now going back to the offensive side of the ball with some skill players, the receiver position. Obviously, Rob, the Seahawks have two of the best receivers in the conference in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Lockett with over 1,000 receiving yards for the first time in his career last year. Metcalf got to 900 receiving yards as a rookie, scored a bunch of touchdowns. So they've got a dynamic duo there but there could be some major changes behind them compared to last year. 
Well, there, I think there, there will be. I, I really am intrigued by what Philip Dorsett and his straight line speed brings to, to the Seahawks. And, uh, and I think that it was wise for, for Seattle to, to bring in a, another veteran player um, rather than just rely on the draft. Uh, you know, obviously with DK Metcalf having the, the the breakout rookie season that he had, that's impressive. But I think it is important to remember that the Metcalf struggled with durability as much as he did while at Ole Miss. I mean, it's hard to imagine considering the way that he just, you know, big boyed even NFL cornerbacks as, as a rookie. But at the same time, it, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Seahawks, you want to have a, a quality third option. And while I'm intrigued by Dorsett, at the same time, his production hasn't been there. And, and certainly Seattle hasn't had enough consistency at, at the third receiver spot themselves. So I'm really interested to see if we're going to see a, you know, a player like David Moore, for example, if he is able to take that next step. And then we talked about John Ursua. If Seattle is in fact going to be allowing Russell Wilson to throw the ball a little bit more, to me, I still believe that Ursua is the one who could wind up being the real breakout candidate of this receiver class. You talked about consistency. David Moore has been anything but in his three seasons in the NFL, but when he's been good, he's been very good. That's been the problem, though. When he has not been there, he's just disappeared. So if they could just get a little bit more consistency out of him, you like the size, you like his ability to break tackles. And I think for, to an extent, I'm going to call the coaching staff out a little bit here. I talked about this before. I don't think they have maximized David Moore's talents very well in the confines of their offense. They've basically made him a one-trick pony. We're going to chuck it downfield, let him try to win jump balls. But I think you can do a lot of stuff on quick bubble screens, quick slants and stuff like that to him, where you let him get the football and let him go to work after the catch. That's been a huge problem for them the last couple of years. They've been near the bottom of the NFL in yards produced after the catch by receivers. David Moore is basically a running back with his build. He's got thick, powerful legs. He can break arm tackles. He's got some shiftiness to his game. I'd like to see them find ways to just get the ball into his hands more and just let him make plays after the catch. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I really think that that is something that the Seahawks need to do more because you're, you're absolutely right, Corbin. David Moore essentially is a running back playing the wide receiver position. And, and so if all you're going to do is, is ask him basically to play that jump ball situations, then you're not putting him in his best position to be successful. And it's a low, it's a low efficiency rate. Exactly. And while Russell Wilson is one of the league's best at throwing the deep ball, he's also damn accurate on those on those quick posts and, and quick screens and things, or excuse me, and slants and uh, things of that nature as well. I think that if you allow him, uh, you know, a little bit more opportunities to throw the ball with timing, uh, then I think that you could see a, a receiver like Moore really have that breakout campaign because I think that you have to get him in space, uh, get him one-on-one and then he can make somebody miss. And, you know, 215 pounds, you, you mentioned those thighs. I mean, he's, he is just a bigger, a much bigger receiver than, than anybody other than DK Metcalf. And of course the, you know, the Seahawks drafted Sullivan as well from LSU who, you know, former tight end kind of a guy, I mean, obviously a big body there. But with, with Moore, he really does bring a different element than any other receiver the Seahawks have. And, you know, I was remiss in, in basically just kind of blowing past Tyler Lockett. I mean, we all know what a spectacular player that he is. But as I've talked about so many times, he's also 182 pounds. And while he has shown remarkable durability, I think that you could make an argument that this is the toughest guy pound for pound in the entire NFL 
at the same time, relying on him to be that effective in a full season is, is always scary stuff. So it's the, the Seahawks really need somebody else to step up the receiver position. Yeah, I think Dorsett, Moore, and Ursua right now probably are your top contenders to be in that third, fourth receiver area. And obviously, the big wild card. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown, maybe one of those guys ends up being in a Seahawks uniform again at some point in the 2020 season. That would certainly add another really talented player to the receiving room. But Let's look, at, let's look at the players that are actually on the roster right now because Gordon still hasn't been reinstated. And Antonio Brown, we don't know what doghouse he's going to be in in terms of suspension when the league <laughs> finally gets done investigating all of his legal issues. But Freddie Swain was drafted in the sixth round out of Florida. They brought in Stephon Sullivan out of LSU, as you mentioned, in the seventh round. So they added a couple receivers late in the draft. And they've got a couple players that were on the practice squad last year. I've talked about Penny Hart on here a few times. If he can stay healthy, that's been his biggest issue. I I love his route running ability. And you talk about toughness. This is another guy that's small, 5'8", around 180 pounds. But he will run routes across the middle, and he will take hits, and he'll hold on to the football. And I just I like the toughness this kid brings to the table. I think he can beat you deep. He can contribute on special teams. So Penny Hart is that one X factor here of a guy that was already on the roster that maybe you should keep a close eye on. And then, of course, if you're looking for another big receiver, we talked about this a few days ago, Seattle kind of has that void. Who's going to be that second big target? Cody Thompson was a really productive player at Toledo, and he's six foot two, over 200 pounds. Yeah, exactly. He's a good player. Uh, you know, going back to, to Penny Hart, I had an opportunity to watch him in person at Senior Bowl a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I've talked so much about Ursua and how he could be that breakout player. I do think that Ursua makes this roster over Penny Hart. And I think that they're, they're basically fighting for that same spot. That said, if something were to happen to Ursua or if he doesn't have the, you know, the, the training camp that I expect, then I think that Penny Hart can, can play that role for you and be, uh, you know, an even more dynamic guy after the catch at times. He does have better straight line speed. Uh, you know, at, at, at the same time, I just think that Ursua is an even more polished route runner. Really curious yep. to watch that particular matchup. Um, and, and then, as I mentioned before with Sullivan, uh, as well as uh, Freddie Swain, you're talking about two dynamic athletes. I mean, obviously with Sullivan at his size, 6'5", 245 pounds, that role that we were talking about with David Moore, go up and get in the football, that's what you want Sullivan to be able to do. And he can run away from people. Really good build-up speed for a man that size. And Freddie Swain, his ability as a, uh, you know, to make people miss after the catch, something we talked about with Moore. Um, and then special teams, his ability as well. I think that's one of the reasons that, that, that Swain um, is somebody to keep in mind as well. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if both Sullivan and Swain wind up making this roster at minimum uh, being practice squad guys. I think Swain might be the player I am most intrigued by here. Not Sullivan. That'll probably surprise our listeners because I am intrigued by the size athleticism combo for Sullivan. But Freddie Swain is a legitimate 4-4 guy that scored a bunch of touchdowns the last two years on a Florida team that has had really poor quarterback play at times. And yet he was able to continue improving. He really found his niche out of the slot. I think he's a player that you could run some routes on the outside with occasionally because of the speed that he has. And really the big advantage that he's got is with that 4-4 speed, you put him back there and let him return kicks and punts. He returned one for a touchdown for the Gators. That might be his best route to getting on this team. But I I am intrigued to see what he can do as a receiver because I'm wondering what is a guy like that going to look like 
going from what Florida's had at quarterback to having Russell Wilson throw him the football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm sure that that's why he's very excited about that. And, uh, you know, again, he, he, to me, he's a guy that it's kind of like Philip Dorsett in that I think that he is being a little bit typecast as just that, that straight line speed guy. Um, but you and I both know again, what he's been able to do, um, on special teams. And then you mentioned the, the, you know, kind of just his penchant for scoring touchdowns. I think that that speaks to his savviness as a route runner. Um, and, and just the fact that, that, that he was, uh, called upon as often as he was in those critical situations for the Gators. Yeah, he led Florida in touchdown receptions last year, and their starting quarterback went down a couple weeks into the season, and they had to put their back up. And so, again, not even it wasn't even a great quarterback situation to begin with, and yet he was able to put up pretty solid numbers for Florida last year, and he's a dynamic return guy. As far as practice squad players go, I don't think any of the undrafted players have a chance to make the team unless there's just a litany of injuries. I am kind of intrigued by Seth Dawkins just because of his size. He's a a big-bodied receiver with good athleticism, and when he had Lamar Jackson throwing the football to him, he put up over 600 receiving yards at Louisville as a sophomore. Once Jackson went to the NFL, his production went down, but Louisville just hasn't been near as good since Lamar Jackson went to the NFL. And then, of course, Aaron Fuller, a more productive player in college, but he seems like he's got a, a lot of similar skills to players like Freddie Swain and Penny Hart and John Ursua and I just don't th- I just don't feel like he's as good or refined as those players so I think he's going to have a real uphill battle to be able to hang around on this team yeah, I mean, he's a local guy, and, and because of that, the, the Seahawks are obviously going to be very familiar with him, and, and so they obviously saw enough to, to give him this opportunity. I'm excited for him. I think that he does uh, you know, project best inside that slot receiver position, and I, I, I think that Ursua and Hart, um, in my opinion, are, are ahead of him at this point. Uh, I'd I want to see you know, just more reliable hands, frankly. I, I saw too many times there. Too many Florida. clankers. Yeah, you know, you know, so he's got to be better in that regard. But at the same time, he does have quickness. He does come from a big-time program that, that has a track record of, of producing quality NFL talent. So uh, I think the local angle helps. Um, and, and the fact that he does have this opportunity, let's, let's run with it. You never can count anybody out when you go into training camp. This year, it's a little bit tougher because we don't know how things are going to look. Is there going to be any preseason games and all that kind of stuff? But Dawkins and Fuller are both players that could potentially play their way into the practice squad at least. And maybe in the case of Dawkins, and maybe he's a guy that can come in and pull a Malik Turner too. Who knows? Um, There's just so much uncertainty. But I do think they've brought in some very intriguing players, both on the outside and in the slot. And there, of course, is always the possibility they could add another player to the mix down the road as well. So this is going to be a position group that's going to be a lot of fun to watch for Russell Wilson throwing to all these different guys and see which five or six end up sticking on the final roster. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up next week, the entire NFC West crew here on Locked On Podcasts will be partaking in a 2020 season preview crossover series four episodes with all four division hosts. It's going to be a blast. We're looking forward to breaking down a ton of fun topics heading towards training camp. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy. Go Hawks.